As you've been hearing in the news, a B.C. provincial court judge has found former Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum not guilty of public mischief. He became visibly emotional, according to those in the courtroom today, when Judge Reginald Harris delivered that verdict. McCallum alleged that Debbie Johnstone, a member of the group Keep the RCMP in Surrey, had run over his foot outside the South Point Save on Foods. This was back in September of 2021, but in his his reasons for judgment, Judge Harris concluded there was ample object, objectively verifiable evidence that McCallum's foot had, in fact, been run over by Johnstone following a heated verbal exchange. And as to the inconsistencies, it appears uh, that there were in McCallum's report to police, including the speed of the vehicle and him being pinned by the car. The judge found those were reasonable given the ex-mayor's emotional state at the time. Well, Sarah Lehman is joining us now, a lawyer with the Sarah Lehman Law Group, and to talk more about this case and this acquittal. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me on. Uh, What are your thoughts? I know that, that you were not directly involved in this case, but given your legal background, looking at this through your eyes, what are your thoughts on how this has unfolded? Sure. Well, I mean, it actually isn't all that unusual of a case in that it comes down to some very basic legal principles, which have to do with reliability and credibility of competing accounts. And here we also have the benefit of some uh, we could call objective evidence by virtue of the fact that we had some closed camera footage from the parking lot and also some medical uh, evidence to show that there was some degree of injury to the former mayor's foot. I'm curious about that, too, because I think that's what people were looking at. And certainly we've been broadcasting that video, specifically that video in the parking lots. And there's been mention of the fact that uh, Doug McCallum's foot, as well as the wheel of the vehicle, they're behind a shrub. So it's not as though you see the exact moment. But the judge obviously found that there was enough to suggest that, yes, his foot did get run over. What are your thoughts, though, on, on the judge saying that given that his stress and his his state at the time, that may have been why he said things like, I was pinned by the vehicle, when clearly he wasn't? Yeah, well, I mean, we don't expect witnesses to be perfect in giving their testimony. Of course, the human memory is something that can change and vary over time. And so there isn't an expectation of perfection. Now, in this case here, we saw that there were some discrepancies between the video and what the ex-mayor testified to. But again, the trial judge found that not to be too much of an issue or an issue at all when it came to the overall reliability and credibility of his evidence. And so uh, we get the verdict that we get here, which, of course, is not guilty. And when we we look at this as well, is it odd to to have this uh, happen in that for the charge to have been laid in the first place uh, for Doug McCallum to be facing this public mischief charge, uh, the Crown must have thought at the time that they had a very strong case? Yeah, I mean, this is quite an unusual case uh, in terms of how it proceeded and the type of charge that was laid by Crown. Um, Certainly, you know, Crown has a very high burden of proof, which is to prove the allegation beyond any reasonable doubt. It is the highest uh, burden of proof in uh, law. So just because they weren't able to prove that uh, burden at trial doesn't mean that they didn't have a case that they felt had a reasonable likelihood 
of being successful when it went to trial. So those are two different standards, which would explain why it is that perhaps Crown decided to lay these charges and proceed to trial, but ultimately they were not successful. Uh, Does it make it, do you think, more difficult for lawyers or for the judge in a case like this when the two people involved have such a history in that it was very well known that Doug McCallum, as the then mayor, uh, wanting to move to a civic police force, this person who allegedly, or I guess we can now say did run over his foot, was very vocal, uh, not a fan of Doug McCallum's. How much does it play into it, what, what their relationship has been? Well, I think certainly it colored the transaction that occurred on the date in question. And I know that Judge Harris here considered that and considered, you know, the words that were exchanged and the heated nature of their interaction in the parking lot. And again, he found that that could be partially why it was that the ex-mayor had, um, you know, not a full recollection or perhaps uh, a different recollection of what was shown on camera in some regards. Um, so again, that emotionally heated exchange was something that could have contributed to the memory that was probably not fully correct. Uh, one of the quotes from the judge was, it defies logic that Mr. McCallum would deliberately mislead police and then immediately suggest that they get evidence, the video, that would show him to be a categorical liar and destroy his efforts to mislead. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, that is a very good point. I mean, this is not an unsophisticated uh, complainant uh, who came to police and said, you know, my foot got ran over. He would understand to some degree you know, the ins and outs of the system. Um, so having requested that they do go and get that type of evidence, uh, something that could have shown him, again, as the judge said, to be a categorical liar, uh, is something that I think weighed quite heavily into the judge's uh, credibility assessment of his overall evidence. Uh, Do you think as well this case, I mean, it's obviously getting a lot of attention because we are talking about now former mayor, but he was the the mayor when this happened and this very, very public uh, relationship and disagreement uh, among the two groups when it comes to policing in Surrey. I mean, we're, we're talking about it because of the people involved, but is this, do you think, a case like this? Is it good use of the court's time? Well, I think it is because, of course, you know, if we have public officials who are going to making false reports, that is something that should certainly be denounced and deterred. Um, so, I mean, I'm not going to say that just because we didn't secure a conviction here and from the Crown's perspective that it was a full waste of time and resources. That's not the case. Um, I think it's important to emphasize, again, that, you know, proof beyond a reasonable doubt is a very high standard to meet. And here, in this very specific scenario, uh, the court found that it simply wasn't there. Right. And, and I suppose that comes into, and I've, I've seen some people questioning then about Debbie Johnstone and her testimony as well. But I suppose that's where it gets into the, the wording here is being found not guilty of something isn't the same thing as being found innocent. So it's not to suggest that because Doug McCallum was found not guilty, that's not to suggest any wrongdoing or any mischief on the part of the other person involved. Right. I mean, there is a difference between not guilty and innocent. I think that they conjure up two very uh, different um, ideas uh, in terms of a person's culpability. Um, And here, you know, we saw Doug McCallum being charged, which is unusual given the allegations and how they came about to police. But ultimately, uh, again, you know, it's not all that unusual for the Crown to be unable to prove that burden to the standard they're expected to.
And in this case, or could the judge in this case rule anything when it comes to uh, costs as well? Because that's been part of this outside of the courtroom, the fact that Doug McCallum's legal bills were being paid by taxpayers. The new mayor of Surrey said she was putting an end to that. She's now put out a statement saying that the city is going to continue to explore its options in relation to Doug McCallum's legal issues, and there'll be an update at some point. Uh, Would it be up to the judge to, uh, to say who's covering costs or paying for costs, or is that something that then would be left to the city? Yes, it would be very highly unusual for a criminal court to make any type of ruling in that regard. Of course, there are certain circumstances where criminal courts can make, say, restitution orders, for example, which involve um, monetary sums of money. Uh, But here in this case, when we're coming to squabbling over who's paying for legal fees, that is very likely to just be a civil issue that will be addressed at a later stage. Right. So as far as the criminal case, uh, does it look like this will be the end of the road for that? I expect it would be, unless, of course, the Crown decides to appeal this decision. Uh, The Crown has the ability to appeal a case uh, like this. Uh, But again, um, we won't know if that happens until they make that decision. All right. Sarah Lehman, always great to have you on the show to break these things down. Thank you so much for joining us today and talking more about this. Thank you for having me. Well, we are going to check in now with Sergeant Steve Addison, Vancouver Police Department media relations officer, about a couple of frightening incidents, one which happened just yesterday. Sergeant, thank you so much for being with us. No problem, Jill. Uh, And I know as well that uh, we've seen a charge laid in another uh, frightening incident, but I'm hoping we can start at what happened at this cafe, Cafe du Soleil, during brunch yesterday. This is a cafe on Commercial Drive. What do we know about this robbery? Yeah, so this I mean, we're in the early stages of this investigation. We're only 24 hours into it, um, so we've still got a lot of work to do, but I think we've got um, a lot that we can work with. Um, what we know is that around 11 o'clock Sunday, like right at the height of brunch when, when the restaurant was full of people, full of staff, full of customers, uh, two men uh, with guns uh, barged in and committed um, a takeover-style robbery. So they pointed their guns at people, uh, they... Uh, told people to get on the ground, they threatened to hurt people, they threatened to shoot people, and they robbed people of valuables. Fortunately, um, and nobody uh, suffered life-threatening injuries. We did have one person who uh, suffered some um, uh, some non-life-threatening injuries, but you can imagine um, a restaurant full of people, both staff uh, and customers, uh, Sunday morning, brunch, at a time when they should feel safe, uh, when they don't expect something like this to happen, um, physical injuries aside, the psychological trauma, the emotional trauma, the anxiety that goes along with um, being victimized in this way is something that's going to um, take a long, long time to recover from. So this is very much a priority investigation for us. Our major crime section is on it, and uh, we've been working uh, really around the clock since yesterday, pulling out all the stops to uh, to figure out who these guys are. In your time with the Vancouver Police Department, have you responded to or heard of a case like this before? Okay, yeah, cases like these do happen. Um, they're rare, um, and but they do happen. And when they happen, they cause a lot of fear. Uh, they cause a lot of anxiety, and they, they generate a lot of attention, and rightly so. Um, yesterday, we had a bunch of people who were minding their own business in a place where they should feel safe, and two people uh, did something to that was extremely violent to make them feel unsafe. Um, and um, for us, uh, we take this very seriously. 
Um, we want to identify who these people are, not just to hold them accountable, uh, but to prevent something else like this from happening uh, again. Um, but while it is also important to reiterate that while these cases like these do happen from time to time, um, they are uh, rare. Um, and in this particular case, I think it's probably quite solvable. I think we have a lot lot to work with. We've got a lot of work to do, um, but we'll work through it. We'll work through the evidence to hopefully identify the people, arrest them, and have them held accountable through the courts. Did anybody get a description or were they able to tell police anything mm-hmm. uh, distinguishable about these two people? Yeah, so and, and that's one of the challenges that we have in an investigation like this. And not only did we have two suspects who we think took uh, deliberate steps to conceal their identity, hats, hoodies, gloves. One of them was reported to have a, a face mask, like a, I think a COVID-style mask on. So they took some steps to conceal their identities. But you can also, if you've ever been involved in, in a dynamic situation, um, probably not to this degree, but involved in any kind of a dynamic situation where you've had to be an eyewitness, um, you get 12 or 15 different people. They all see different things. They all have different versions. They see it through different lenses. And our job is to sit down with them um, and, and to go through uh, what they saw, what they know, what they heard, what was said. Um, to get a full picture of what happened. Um, We'll also be doing a a thorough, we have been doing, and we will continue to be doing a full canvas for witnesses in video. We know in a lot of these cases, they come down to video. And we've had tremendous amount of success solving crimes by releasing video to the public uh, and having uh, suspects identified. And that's something that we'll certainly look at in this case. Um, But we've got a lot lot of work to do. It's a very serious crime. It's the early stages of the investigation. Uh, You mentioned that they stole from the patrons who were in the restaurant. And I understand they were stealing cell phones. Was that the bulk of what they took or, or did they take things like wallets and other things as well? Yeah, so at this point, um, we believe, so I can tell you that we believe this was, uh, this was targeted in the sense that the two suspects intended to go into that restaurant, uh, to steal valuable items from people in the restaurant. Among those items were phones that were seized. There were other, also other valuable items that were seized that we're not going to talk about at this point, just because it's, um, uh, for the integrity of the investigation. We just not, we're just not ready to disclose that at this point. Um, we don't necessarily believe that believe that the phones were um, the target of the robbery. In fact, we believe that the phones were at least some of the phones were uh, tossed away or dumped a short distance later and, and recovered. So it's quite likely that the phones were uh, were taken as an attempt by these uh, these criminals to prevent people from immediately calling 911. All part of the strategy to get away. Uh, to delay police attendance. Fortunately, somebody did phone us and we were able to get there um, pretty quick and uh, um, and, and launch our investigation. And, and we've been uh, investigating ever since. Okay. And that makes sense because I was curious as well if, if, if the phones were taken exactly for that reason so people couldn't call or people couldn't record what was happening as we know people tend to do or if they were if they were taken as items of value, you would think that somebody would have find my iPhone or you'd be able, be able to kind of find where those phones went. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're thinking the exact same thing, um, or you're thinking the right way. Uh, quite likely, these were phones were taken as a as a means for them to avoid uh, avoid people calling nine one one, or to avoid people taking pictures or video of them. Uh, can you talk a little bit? So they entered the the cafe, as you said, a full cafe of people just sitting down to brunch, and both had guns, handguns. Do we know were they actual handguns or replica guns? 
Um, well, we're going to operate on the assumption that they were real guns. Uh, the suspects left, and we have not located the, them yet, nor have we located the guns. Um, but we're we're treating this as an armed robbery, and those guns, as far as we're concerned, uh, uh, are real. We have no reason to believe that they weren't. All right. And any idea then uh, kind of how much they got away with? Or like you said, some of of what they took is not being uh, disclosed at this point in that. Did they take things from everybody that was in the restaurant? Uh, I don't know if they took things from everybody. Um, And... um you, you know, Joe, we always try to we always try to be as transparent as we can. In this case, because it's early stages of the investigation, there's a, there's a specific investigative investigative reason why we're not going to say what we believe was being targeted. Uh, but we do believe that there were valuable items that were in the possession of certain people that were being targeted. Um, and uh, we'll work uh, as we work to identify the the suspects here. We'll also work to try to recover that evidence. And do you know if patrons, I, and I get what you're saying, that eyewitnesses will, will remember things very differently, but were you able to even get, the, if there was, say, uh, anything distinguishable about the voices of, of these people or, or even close to the ages? Um, again, um, we need to be, uh, the answer is yes. Um, but we need to do our due diligence um, in, in, in this investigation because there are so many witnesses and victims. Um, we need to do our due diligence and make sure that we have um, accurate information before we start putting that information out to the public. would hate to, uh, at this point, when it's such, it was obviously so early in, in such a dynamic uh, event, um, to go forward with information that may not be accurate. So we've got to, we've got to be methodical and meticulous in our investigation here and make sure that we are accurate in what we're uh, explaining to people. The most important thing that I want people to know is that we, we take this extremely seriously. Um, it's extremely frightening. Um, we do not want this to happen again. And we're pulling out all the stops to identify the people responsible to um, take them into, to bring them into custody and to hold them accountable before the courts. And uh, we'll continue to do that. And, and what do you say to people then? And I, I know there's not really anything that, that you can, but people are going to hear this. Like I, I heard this story and saw it and thought, oh, it just seems so that people, the, the, how this unfolded and people thinking, well, now I can't even go out for breakfast or take my family to brunch without worrying about t- two guys breaking in and robbing me. Mm-hmm. I know it's frightening, and when you hear stories like this, uh, you're. Um, uh, I think when you hear stories like this, it's it's okay to to feel that way. Um, again, this is a situation where people on a Sunday morning having brunch is the last thing that they probably expected, and it's completely natural for um, for people to hear a story like this uh, and to be frightened or to feel a little bit of anxiety. I want people to know that um, situations like this. Um, when they do happen, that while while they do happen, uh, they're rare, uh, and and our uh, our success rate in identifying people in cases like this is is actually pretty good, especially when we can get good quality video or good quality eyewitness descriptions. So while it's completely normal for people to be fearful when they hear a story like this, we don't want we don't want to strike fear in people, um, but it's normal for people to be fearful of it. Um, our message to people, as it always is, if you see something that's unusual if somebody's making you feel unsafe if you see a crime if you got any information if you know who these guys are give us a call um talk to us uh in this case 
uh, a witness or a victim to this crime did phone 911, we were able to get officers there right away. And we know in cases like this, evidence is perishable. And the quicker we can get there to collect fingerprints and DNA and video and eyewitness accounts and, um, and, and, and take all of the investigative steps that we need to take, the more likelihood we have of being able to quickly solve the case. So I, that's why I think we're in a good, in, 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 well, this is not solved yet. And we've got a lot of work to do. I think we've got a lot of work. Uh, we've got a lot to work with. Um, and uh, we'll just continue being, uh, we'll continue doing our jobs until we can uh, find these guys and arrest them and, and have them held accountable. Is there video from surrounding businesses or video of these two suspects? Yes, there is. Yeah. And, and um, part of our, our, um, our investigative process now is to uh, conduct a video canvas uh, to identify the suspects. If we can, and if we can use that video, often through help from the public, we've had a tremendous amount of success. Uh, we'll certainly do that to, to, to identify these people. All right. Uh, and Sergeant, uh, I've, I've taken more time than I meant to, but I just wanted to t- quickly touch on another story as well. This one, there have been criminal charges uh, laid, and this was a woman uh, robbed while, well, again, doing something that people do every day, getting money out of an ATM. Yeah, this is a case that happened over the weekend. And, um, you know, we've had heard a lot of stories about, you know, the random, violent, unprovoked attacks. And, it, you know, we're doing everything that we can when we when these get reported to us to hold offenders accountable. This was a case where we had a woman at a bank machine, Broadway and commercial uh, in the evening. Uh, she, she walked in, she walked into the bank vestibule to take out some money and a man approached her, asked her for a smoke and she said no. Um, the man, the suspect, allegedly then shoved her against a wall, uh, demanded money. The victim was able to uh, fight back. She kicked at the suspect. She ran. She ran to a nearby business and called 911. Again, calling 911 is, is right away is so important because we were able to get officers there. We were able to get the, arrest the guy. We, 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 we got him. He was still in the ATM vestibule. And in fact, he was sleeping in the ATM vestibule. Um, so we were able to arrest him for robbery. He's since been charged with robbery. And the last I checked this morning, he was still in custody, which is a good thing. All right, uh, Steve Addison, thank you so much for your time and for joining us to talk yeah. more about this today. My pleasure. Have a great day. As you just heard in the news and how we have been hearing about this, uh, our new premier, David Eby, has announced a new offender response team. It's all part of the public safety plan that was announced. It's an attempt to tackle chronic offenses, also ongoing worries about public safety. He's talking about this team, which will consist of police officers, 21 dedicated prosecutors, 21 probation officers, as well as 21 support personnel and nine correctional supervisors. The goal is to monitor high-risk repeat offender cases through the criminal justice system, conduct investigations, as well as share information that would keep repeat offenders in custody before they go to trial. One of the things that there has been a lot of pressure on the current government to act on. Well, will it make a difference and how are people responding? Joining us now to talk more about this is John Clarides, the owner of the Marquis Wine Cellar. John, thanks so much for being with us again. Jill, thanks for uh, thinking of me. Well, you have been outspoken, uh, not in a bad way at all, but you certainly have been sharing your experiences with crime, uh, property crime, and what you've been seeing in in your particular area of downtown Vancouver. Uh, Does this change, or do you think that this will or could potentially change things? Uh, Absolutely. I'm taking the high road on this. I mean, Premier Eby's been Premier for for two days, and he's already tackled this. Of course, this was in the works for a long time. There's no doubt. But this is a breath of fresh air. 
And, um, you know, I've got a little bit of history with, with uh, Mr. Eby um, uh, when he was in opposition, and he sat and met with me and uh, listened to my concerns and uh, established his BTAP panel and addressed our problems and, and, and fixed them. It took, a, it took a little while. So I'm using my personal experience with him to say, I think, I, I believe he's going to do it. Will there be hiccups? Will there be road, road bumps? Absolutely there will. But his intentions are honorable, and I'm really looking forward to uh, sort of this new chapter in, in, in BC and one, helping people with addiction, putting bad people behind bars, hopefully getting people jobs and, and cleaning up um, uh, downtown Eastside to make it a, a nice community again. Uh, is there any frustration, though, and, and one of the criticisms has been, yes, this does look like it's a plan that could potentially change things. It could make uh, people feel safer or be safer. But here's somebody who was the attorney general. This government's not brand new in government, even though he's new as the premier. Why didn't he do any of these things when he was the attorney general? You know what? That's that's a really good question. I don't have an answer for that. Maybe he has seen the light and the progressive woke mentality simply does not work um and maybe he's changed his ideologies these are people that vote for him and get him in power and he realizes people aren't safe so maybe he's changes to we have to go we have to take the high road on this because this is great news so um it's going to be a wait and see and and i'm going to you know, do my best to support whatever he's doing to make uh citizens of british columbia just feel a lot safer how have things been for you? I know we we started talking to you more and more about this after the break-in at your business and the theft of the electric bike and the window being smashed. How have things been in your neighborhood lately? Well, for me, from the store personally, pretty good. I mean, there we had some graffiti right in broad daylight. Uh, excuse me, broad daylight on our windows. But if you go up further, here's the interesting thing: if you go further up Davy Street to the Jim Diva Plaza. This has been a big bone of contention um, because the city of Vancouver didn't listen to a police report and basically closed off the street. So that is an area that needs to be addressed. Overall, I think it's okay, but, you know, one of my neighbors, uh, two doors up, he was just broken into for the seventh time in two years. So it's it's still going on. And as soon as we um, hear from the Vancouver police that random attacks have gone down, break-ins have gone down, assaults have gone down, um, then we can feel a little bit more comfortable with uh, uh, the job uh, Premier Eby is doing. Uh, when you say your neighbour has been broken in, so seven times in two years, and, and yeah. not that one is okay and one's not, but are you talking about a, a business? It's a small business, yeah, it's uh, Davy Suntanning. The poor guy, I mean, John's a great guy. I think he's been on your show before, and they just come in and they take his bathing suits, take all the suntan lotion, I mean, he's he's just a small, tiny seven times in two years. Hmm. It's just it's just uh, it's egregious. So hopefully, these are the types of things that will be curtailed. Wow, and and I mean that's just got to be. I know there are some businesses in some neighborhoods that are locking their doors, and so patrons that go have to knock or ring a, a doorbell, which isn't the kind of welcoming atmosphere they want. But it just got to be too much, kind of like your friend. If if having the door open meant to, you're being robbed all the time, uh, they had to find some other way of doing that. Correct, correct. You know, you adapt, right? I mean, I just read I just read an article in uh, out of the United States. Target has lost. $400 million due to shoplifting and, and, and theft in the United States. So, you know, hopefully, again, what, what Premier Eby is doing 
will curtail that type of activity up here. And, oh, one other thing that I really liked, uh, what he said, is uh, criminals who are dealing drugs and hope, and money laundering um, and prosecuting them and going after their, hopefully, their, their ill-gotten gains. That is, that, that was uh, nice to hear, too. Uh, and it certainly, and it is an ambitious plan. So hopefully it's not something that there is so much in it, uh, things get lost and that, that there can be some ground made and we, we see some difference here. I, I'm curious as well, because one of the other uh, things, and this actually goes to what the new mayor was saying as well, uh, campaigning on more police officers, more hento- mental health workers. Uh, David Eby's announcement on this as well, the announcement he made yesterday, uh, also talks about expanding mental health crisis response teams in in new models of addictions care at St. Paul's. Uh, Your thoughts on that? Because again, not to suggest that any of this behavior is okay, but in a lot of cases where we are dealing with people who are just, they are not well. No, they aren't well. And some of them, you know, if they can be put back in the the community, great. Um, I didn't hear anything though about a Riverview being opened up or something to the equivalent. Some people really need care 24-7 and living on the street and in their own feces and doing drugs is really not a way a civil society takes care of its people that can't take care of themselves. So I'd like to see something like that. Additionally, what he didn't talk about is any type of job or skills training. I mean, once a person gets, you know, gets clean, how are we going to help them get back into the community, get back into the, uh, the job community? Maybe that's for other private organizations to take on. I'd love to see something like that. Um, get some micro-businesses going down the road. That'd be really cool. Yeah, and it kind of all goes together, doesn't it? Because I heard yeah. somebody else questioning, and even though we, we did get the housing announcement earlier today, and there's a lot in that announcement as well, if somebody comes out of treatment, somebody is, is going down that path, if you are released from that and you don't have a place to call home, your chances of success, I would imagine, are, are, are very, very small. Correct, correct. It, it takes a community. Here's the other thing, and I've said this on your show before, and I've said it to other media people. There's an organization in Italy called San Patriano. It's a farm, uh, commune, two- to four-year uh, stay for the average person, 79% success rate. They teach one of 22 different trades, uh, and it's all privately funded. We have enough wealthy people here in this province to start a San Patriano, to get people clean, teach them skills, and get them on the road to recovery. And, you know, there's the public part of this, and there's also the private part of it. And I'd love to see Premier Eby get some of the British Columbia's wealthiest people together in a room and say, okay, let's start the equivalent of a San Patriano, and then just back off and let the private um, uh, private individuals take care of it, because it's a model that works, and, and many people from around the world have visited there. And uh, it's a really cool organization. I've, in, fact, in fact, I met the owner's son a bunch of years ago. It's pretty cool. I'd invite your listeners to Google it. All right. We will do that for sure. John, thanks so much for joining us. It's uh, nice to talk on a more positive note and uh, hear some hope that things are going to get better for everybody. So great to have you on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you, Jill. I'm excited and uh, appreciate you giving me a call. Thank you.